You're listening to episode 12 of the STEM Space. Natasha will be providing insight on involving your students in stage three STEM, which is STEM competitions. What STEM competitions are available? What is your role as an educator and sponsor? And what to expect? Get ready to take your students to the next level in their STEM education. Let's dive in. Welcome to the STEM Space, hosted by Vivify co-founders Claire and Natasha, two aerospace engineers turned educators, sharing our passion for all things STEM. Check us out at vivifystem.com. All right, so today was fun. We launched this STEM competition, and Claire, how do you feel about STEM competitions? Well, I think they're super exciting and kids really look forward to them. They kind of intimidate me, honestly, because I really haven't done many of them. What is intimidating about them? Just that there's not that much control, I feel like. Uh, For me, being type A, I really get anxious for these kids to do well. And I don't have a way of really helping them because you're not supposed to really. You prepare them for this that moment, but you don't really get to walk them through everything and hold their hand. So that's what makes me nervous. It's more about me. <laughs> <laughs> and I would argue that's probably the best part of a STEM competition is how open-ended it is. And I know you're all about creativity and innovation and that's where it happens, right? Oh, yeah. And so I really think, um, and I can get what you're saying because you don't, it's hard to know what the role of a teacher is in a STEM competition. Mm -hmm. And so let me talk about what I did today. And I actually had a part when I talked to the the sponsors of this competition to find what their role was, because I've gotten a lot of questions about that. Yeah. So today was uh, this competition called Essay Smart, which Essay Start stands for San Antonio, um, because my my work with communities and schools is in San Antonio, Texas, and it was the Mayor's K through 12 Smart City Challenge. And I started this with another nonprofit three years ago, and we work with the city of San Antonio to pose some problems to kids that are actually affecting our city. And so there's this plan that came out from the city of San Antonio called Essay Tomorrow. And it's looking at all the challenges we're gonna face in the short term as our city grows and other factors um, such as sustainability or transportation that are real problems that the kids and their families are experiencing. And so this is a real world STEM challenge, right? This is an actual problem that needs to be solved. And what's exciting is that it's not solved, right? Nobody has the answers. There's no right or wrong answer here. And that's the core of STEM is it's real world, has a lot of open solutions and allows for innovation and some cool, exciting ideas. And that is giving those students the opportunity to have a voice in their own city because we ask them to think about their own community and how does this problem affect your community? So today was the launch of the third annual, uh, as a virtual launch. We had a message from the mayor's office and then the theme this year is digital inclusion. Do you know anything about digital inclusion? I have no idea what that means. (laughs) (laughs) So our sponsor is Google Fiber and it is a perfect fit for them because basically there's something called a digital divide. 
So there are people that do not have the same access uh, to the internet, to technology as other people in the population. And it tends to be rural communities, low-income families, and senior citizens that don't have that same access. Sure. And there's a, a lot of consequences of that digital divide and how it perpetuates that cycle of poverty and it keeps you out of these resources, including government services. And that's where the city was interested because a lot of their stuff is online. Like you can renew your driver's license online or jury duty or all these Mm. other things. And if you don't have internet access, that's a problem, right? Yeah. So we posed this question and we had some experts that were on this webinar to talk about what it means to be a digital divide in San Antonio. And so this is the launch. And now they have three months to form teams and come up with their problem statement and their solution. And they're meeting in January. Uh, I'm hosting a competition clinic and there will be mentors who are experts in this digital world. Um, Some may be Google Fiber employees and other tech companies. And they're gonna provide constructive feedback to the students. So those kids get access to real STEM professionals who will hear their own ideas and work with them to think it through and give them that context that maybe the kids are missing of is it realistic to do what this crazy idea is? But also the kids might think about something that that professional had never considered because maybe they are in a neighborhood where this digital divide doesn't affect themselves, where maybe it affects the kid personally. And that professional is like, well, we could do this and this. And the kid's like, that would never work in my neighborhood. And so that's kind of the scope of this competition. I'm so excited to see uh, the solutions and this working together of everybody and what it turns into. That's amazing because those kids they can really make a difference and they will be able to see that. And like you said, a lot of them are probably already experiencing the hardships of what this challenge is. And so if they discover a solution or I know they will, cause they are going to be competing. So they will have some sort of solution. Right. And they may be able, maybe even able to apply that solution to their own family. That is so cool. So you said you started this three years ago, right? Right. Yeah, it was uh, this other nonprofit had the initial idea. um, And so they approached us as a way to help get into the schools. And I just jumped at it. I was like, yes. And so I was there in the initial pitch meeting to the city of San Antonio uh, council members Hmm. to kind of get buy-in from the city. And it's just snowballed from there. It's all volunteer work. You know, this isn't really my main job. This is just something I'm passionate about. And I think it's an amazing opportunity uh, for those students because it's open to any kid in San Antonio, whether you're in a district or homeschooled or a private school, anybody who's in grade seven through 12 uh, can compete. And just a shout out, if there are any people from San Antonio listening, um, (laughs) you are welcome to join. All you have to do is go to essay.smart.org and we can put that in the show notes. Yeah, that is amazing. So none of the people that are involved are really experts in this area, except for the professionals that are being the mentors, right? So if a STEM teacher wanted to have some sort of competition or involve kids in some sort of competition like this, how would they start? Like, what is the infrastructure? What things are needed to make this happen? Yeah, and... I actually did start off saying I was going to talk about teacher sponsors. <laughs> so thanks for that reminder. So let me <laughs> briefly talk about the role of a sponsor of a team. 
And your, mention, your, your question is, you know, how do you get access? And of course, you could start your own competition at your school. I've seen some schools um, do like a catapult competition and so different classes will compete. Hmm. But there's a ton of other competitions already in place, many of which are virtual. And I know NASA in particular has a bunch of these opportunities. Um, I know we promoted the Young Scientist competition. Right. There's, um, you know, other ways that you can get involved without having to do this from scratch. And so I encourage you um, to go and do some research. And we can also add some notes um, to support, you know, you're looking at either local competitions, like mine is completely local to San Antonio, as well as more national competitions. So as a sponsor, your role is to guide the project. And I was telling the teachers today, this is not your project, I'm sorry. These are not your ideas. <laughs> you do not stand in the front pitching this idea to the mayor and to these other judges. It is for the kids. Your job is to register the team <laughs> and to provide them the space, the facilities for this to happen, any resources maybe they need, um, whether it's access, here we're talking about digital inclusion, access to the internet or library or you know helping them when they get stuck, but it's meant to mimic a real world scenario. And so as engineers, we know we've had to work in teams and they need to struggle through that teamwork of miscommunication or kids working in different silos. So they're doing their own thing and nobody's really talking to each other. And in the end, it's like, wait, what did you work on? And so helping define those roles uh, in the team and some of those team dynamics is the role of that sponsor. But mm. they're not the ones doing the work. So if you're a robotics teacher, you might have to provide some foundations in coding or maybe how to um, put together some of the parts on the robot or that FLL, that first Lego league mat. But you're not the one that's telling them how to solve the problem they use in the competition. Because if you are, that defeats the purpose of that STEM competition. <laughs> um, yeah, sure. Now, competitions, we've talked about the three stages of STEM before. So having this level of a STEM activity, that's stage three, right? So would a sponsor be facilitating like stage one or stage two activities to prepare them in any way for this competition? Yes, that is the reason why we had thought about having these stages because working with my middle school students, there were a lot of barriers to competing in this intensive robotics competition. And it was just so overwhelming and they didn't have the skills needed to know what to do, where to start, how to work in teams. And so when I developed the year-long Space Club program, I really tried to think through what are those skills to build up to that final capstone competition. And that's where the stages come in. Stage one really focuses on that teamwork, communication. If you've done some of our activities of working in a team, such as that helium stick challenge, you know what I'm talking about? Oh yeah. And others that aren't necessarily tied at all to the engineering design process or some science concept, it's purely focusing on that communication and teamwork piece. That's still critical to later on competitions. And then stage two focuses on how to approach a problem, how to think like an engineer using the engineering design process to solve a problem. But it's in very small, manageable little activities, um, design challenges that typically last 45 minutes, hour and a half or so, that's the foundation kids need to succeed in stage three. 
And that should happen later in the year once they've kind of worked through these other challenges, they can be prepared for bigger competition. And that's actually a great segue to the what we're developing in the partnership with NASA, opportunity that we are providing other schools that are looking to develop this year-long program. So Future Cities does a competition. Some of our listeners may be familiar with this competition that came from Discover E, the ones that put on Engineers Week. Um, so they've been running Future Cities now for 30 years, I think. Wow. And the kids are tasked with designing a, a new type of city. And so each year is a theme, similar to like the mayor's competition. So they're trying to think about one year was like the elderly population. How could we design a city to support their needs? And so in the future, they're actually going to have a lunar city competition. And so we've developed curriculum called Launchpad that builds up stage one and two. So to prepare kids that have really no experience in STEM to be able to succeed and compete at this high level national competition. Yeah, right. And just for our listeners who are new to the podcast, if you go back to episode one, you'll be able to dive in and hear all about what the three stages of STEM are all about. So back to this competition, the Essay Smart Challenge that you launched, what happens at the end of a competition? Like how are they judged or how is this the winner determined? Can you talk more about that? Yes. So our first goal of the competition is to make it a learning experience. And sometimes it's all about the competition and that final trophy. And sure, that's a great motivator for the kids. But for the teacher and for the schools, they should at least care about the learning <laughs> process. And so most of the teams are going to be with us for this whole part of doing the research, putting together the pitch deck, that competition clinic in a few months in January, where they'll get to come together, every single team will have access to that. And then they're going to have to submit a research pitch deck is what we're calling it. Basically a set of slides outlining their idea, their solution, and how it works. And we will have judges that look at um, those submissions have a rubric and then they narrow it down to the 10 teams that go to the finals. And so that final uh, competitions in May, that's where we have a panel of judges. And if you've watched Shark Tank, it's very similar to Shark Tank. So you have to go up there with your team and pitch your idea. So you're not actually needing, unlike Shark Tank, you don't actually have to have a prototype or an app or whatever your idea is. That's not the point. It's can you convince us this is a good idea? So it's a business pitch mm. um, to this panel of judges. And then we have some Q&A. Um, there's a poster session, similar to kind of like a science fair, just to have a visual of what your pitch was about. And then we score it and we announce the winner who gets that final trophy called the Mayor's Cup. And it's like literally one of those big things that you see held up at like the end of a tennis match or something, no way. you know? <laughs> yeah. So cool. Do they get to keep it or is it something that passes on every year? It goes um, to the school. So yes, okay. the kids don't necessarily keep it, but the school gets to put it in their trophy case and it stays at the school. That's really awesome. So is all our other competitions that you've been a part of, is it kind of the same way? And who are the judges? In most competitions that I've been a part of, 
the judges typically are local uh, science engineering professionals. Um, when I'm talking competitions, I'm thinking STEM competitions. Robotics right. sometimes isn't necessarily any needed any background. You just have to be trained on how to score because it's a very, they try to make it very unbiased, right? You're just supposed to stand there with a the clipboard and score how the robots are doing. Okay. Um, but whenever you're, yeah, but whenever you're doing a more subjective competition like this, and you have no background in STEM, it's very hard to judge. And so I've noticed that most of the judges come from these um, science and engineering backgrounds. So they have some context and they can ask meaningful questions. And we've had kids that go up there and show us all this data and all this research. And we can kind of see through it that it wasn't really well thought out. And maybe if you <laughs> did not have a STEM background, you would be wowed and impressed with all the numbers and have no idea what they're talking about. <laughs> and so it's kind of fun to see kids trying to like show off and then we can poke some holes in what they were doing in a constructive way, of course. Yeah. But it's, it's a learning experience for the students because they are often not pushed in these ways in the classroom if their teachers don't have that technical background, and they shouldn't. They're not expected to, right? It's on the kids to do the research, to put together the project, and now we're giving them the chance to really put it out there. And you have to be a little vulnerable and, and just go for it. And it's okay to, you know, we've talked about failure all the time. That first competition may not be amazing for you. A lot of first time of doing robotics, you don't score very high because you're just not sure what's going on and it's overwhelming and you're just trying to figure out all the different components. And so I encourage listeners out there that are thinking about a STEM competition, just jump in. There will be other teams like you that are intimidated and it's their first time and it's okay. It's part of the learning process and the kids just being part of that experience, I think is the most important part. Absolutely. And I feel like that's been my experience in the real world of STEM. It's kind of like jumping into these competitions. A lot of times you don't know all the stuff and you're going to fail, but you're going to learn that way. And that really is the best way to learn, right? Yes, I totally agree. And so I encourage teachers, you know, again, to look up some local competitions. A lot of the national competitions have regional competitions like FLL is all over the country with different regional competitions that you can advance to. And they provide mentors and they provide support. And it's a matter of going out there and asking, are these resources available for my kids? And the answer is usually yes. And there's a lot of people there to support that learning. And it, it can just be amazing what these opportunities can do for students and really excite them about learning. Because that's the ultimate goal is we want them to, you know, learn the material and actually enjoy it, enjoy the process of learning. And I think that's one nice side benefit of this, um, these STEM competitions. Well, thanks, Natasha. Thanks, Claire.